0: Hello there welcome to MA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're breaking down the full card for UFC 284 pay-per-view event coming up this weekend, Saturday. Down Under in Australia with the main event featuring Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky where Makachev will be putting his belt, the lightweight belt, on the line. And then of course in the co-main event, we have the interim title belt on the line between Yair Rodriguez and Joshua Emmett for the featherweight crown. 13 total bouts in the card. Some names you recognize, the Randy Browns, the Jack Della Maddalenas, De- De Of course, a ton of Australian, New Zealand-born fighters because we're down in Australia. And I think according to my quick review here, there's only like maybe two or three, four Americans, five Americans, I think, on the entire card. So it's definitely an international card. 13 total bouts. We'll go over each bout with you one fight at a time. We'll talk you through our bets. At least our betting strategies. We'll talk numbers, statistics. And before I even get to that, let me remind you, you can get some of this information through our Substack newsletter. Our Substack newsletter is free. Subscribe to it. The link's down below. You get a full card breakdown for every UFC event. You also get a tip sheet emailed right to you every single week. Super simple, super easy. If you don't know Substack, go look into it. Link's down below. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. That's how you support our content. That's how you support my channel and what we're trying to produce for you guys. A lot of of new interviews recently with fighters. Check out the interviews. Again, how you support us, click, like, subscribe. No paywalls, no Patreon, no subscriptions that you have to pay for here. One more thing. We have a Google Drive account that's free and accessible by you. Where do you get the Google Drive account? The link's down below. Click on it and go there and check it out. You'll see folders for each of the events coming up. So like for example, we're just finishing the folder right now for UFC 284. When you open that folder on the Google Drive, you'll see raw notes for every single fight. What's in the raw notes? Well, for example, you'll find fighter stats. That's mean striking stats, uh, strikes absorb stats, takedown numbers, uh, defensive defensive percentages, all the little details that you might want on a fighter. Pros and cons, their background information, their age, where they train at, uh, country of origin, the basic details on each fighter. That's all in our raw fighter notes, which is available in Word document format. On Google Drive the links down below we publish usually each week something called the essentials pack and the essentials pack is everything that I kind of just described to you so for the essentials pack for UFC 284 it'll be the full card breakdown in a video format like you're seeing right now it'll be the written breakdown in the subject newsletter all right so we got that form you also get it on a podcast because all this stuff is also available via podcast so if you can't don't want to fiddle on your phone with the YouTube and you're traveling whatever Look up our podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Just search up MMA Fight Club. Look for our black and yellow logo. Click like subscribe to that podcast. And now you have us by podcast. And of course, you've got the Google Drive to check out our raw notes. So part of our essentials pack is kind of covering you everywhere. A written format, raw notes, podcast worthy available. Also uh, video format on, uh, on YouTube try to get you as much information as possible. The last piece of the essentials pack is the tip sheet, and that's free. It's, a, it's free, you don't have to do anything else. If you subscribe to our Substack newsletter, you receive that free every week, and it's pretty cool. Whether you do bet a lot on fights, or just bet a little bit, or just want to compare your bet tip sheet to ours, you could do that. And so it gets to you every single week via email within about 24 to 48 hours of the event that we're talking about. Okay, enough talking. Let's get into this full card breakdown for UFC 284. Here we go. All right, next up, we have a featherweight bout, 145 pounds between the Russian Zubaria Tukagov versus Elvis Brenner and Mr. Brenner, first name Elvis, hails from Brazil. Brenner's 13-3 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. The Russian is 2-2 and one of his last five fights. We'll give you the prediction right away to get that out of the way for those who need to move forward, time constraints. We're on the Russian Tukagov by decision. That's our prediction. Not with a lot of confidence, especially at this price point. We'll talk about that. Of course, Elvis comes in as a late replacement for Joel Alvarez, who was the original opponent, and that was going to be a much better fight than I think what we're going to see here. For Elvis, like many of the new UFC debutants, he's going to come in here facing an uphill battle, and he probably wouldn't be in the UFC right now if it wasn't for the need for a late replacement because he's been fighting the regional scene. And barely holding his own over there, right? As for the particulars, Tugagov is 25 and 1 overall. Big favor here around minus 550. Probably be a minus 600 by the time this video is done recording and uploaded. From Moscow, Russia, 32 years old, five eight in height with a 68-inch region. He's out of Cree Post Fight Club and also a small gym you may have heard of called American Kickboxing Academy. Yes, AKA. They have a lot of Russians there. <clears throat> Along with even current fighters, you know, Daniel Cormier makes that his home base, I believe, for you know, just working out. As for the Brazilian Elvis Brenner, thirteen and three overall, three and two in his last five fights. The big dog here out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, twenty excuse me, twenty five years old, five foot nine in height, one inch taller, out of Chuto Boxe Diego Lima, very good gym down in Brazil. Having watched some film on both fighters, I do not believe that the height and reach will be a huge issue, but Elvis Brenner should be the longer fighter. The way that Turkogov is built is just more of a shorter stretcher now it says 5 foot 8 on topology and 5 9 for Elvis I think that's more like 5 6 and a half five 7 for Turkogov and more like you know 5, nine, five ten. so I, I do see Elvis being this substantially taller fighter with the longer reach I Just don't believe it's gonna be a gigantic factor in the fight We don't have takedown numbers on Brenner. We don't have those details because he doesn't have a UFC fight under his belt So we don't have access to those type of stats. We will give you the stats for Mr. Tugoff though. For Tugoff, he's 32 years old from Russia. He's a boxer wrestler, that's his style, right-handed. 26 total fights between his amateur and pro experience. His average fight time is 12 minutes and 13 seconds, so he's getting, you know, deep into the fight, into round 3. He lands about 2.94 strikes per minute but absorbs 2.84. Not a tremendously high volume striker and also eating just about as much as he's dishing out. averages about two and a half takedowns per fight, 2.46 to be exact, and has 100% takedown defense. He's a balanced fighter. His only two defeats in the UFC were by split decision, so he could be undefeated in the UFC if he had won those fights. You like to forward pressure. My concerns, activity level, which we'll talk about. He could be a little bit hittable. Game plan, fighter IQ, kind of gets away from his takedowns, which I don't believe is smart. And finishing ability uh, is, is definitely a question mark. As for Brenner, he's 25, again out of a good gym, shooto boxe lima down in Brazil. He's a striker, that's his style. He's right handed, 16 total fights. Good footwork, good kicks, very durable, never been finished before in 16 pro fights. Very good with submissions, 10 of his 13 wins have been by submission. Good finish rate in general. <clears throat> We'll talk more about that, but uh, good finisher. As for our concerns, well, he's coming in late replacement, and it's a hell of a stage to be making your UFC debut. Live audience, he's younger, how he responds to it. He's been inconsistent before this. Like regional scene, two and two in his last four fights, four and three in his last seven. You know what I'm saying? He's basically hovering around 500 in the regional scene. He stands very tall, so leg kicks, he could be open to that, and also takedowns, and he can be a bit hittable. As for my write-up on this, let's dive a little bit deeper here. So we like Turkogov by decision. Elvis is the late replacement, as we mentioned before. This should be an easy path to victory for Turkogov so long as he you know, follows the right thing on his playbook, uses takedowns, and so on and so on. Now for Elvis, he comes into this fight with no higher level background mixed martial arts experience. Like, not LFA, not contender series, nothing in that vein. He's been fighting in smaller regional promotions where he's been four and three in his last seven fights. He's making a debut, mind you, in front of a real crowd. Now, this will be, what, the first fight in the prelim card. It won't be packed, it won't be very loud, but still, the stage, he's very young, you know? A little bit of pressure, right? Elvis does have very good submission skills, though, and that should not be overlooked. Imagine just one small mistake, a little grappling mistake, next thing you know, he's on Tugov's back. And if that happens in that moment you're watching the fight live and you know about Elvis's submission ability you're going to be like holy shit, you know. <laughs> Elvis has good footwork. Very good footwork especially for a younger fighter from Brazil. He could use it to get in and out of range, to circle away from opponents and also set up his counter punches. The late notice though and the step up in competition that's like strike 1 and 2. You know, you're just la- looking for the last strike now. It's going to be hard for him to win a fight against a fighter in Tubagov who has his own issues. But he's still at least a bona fide UFC fighter. We know that. We can qualify that statement. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine a low-level mixed martial artist coming in with low-level grappling skills and getting win here against a fighter like Goff. So tough uphill battle for, for Elvis. As for the Russian, as long as he uses a balanced attack, I want to emphasize balance, use some ground attack, take it to the ground, get some clinch control, he has an easy path to a decision win here. If he stays in his feet like he did against Ramos, a fight he did, he still won. But against Ramos, he stood in his feet too long. Like in round one, he cracked Ramos, had him you know kind of backing up, had him bleeding, stood too long. Then he got cracked, and then he was bleeding. He's almost like the type of fighter, like a Kevin Holland, who's like, I want to stay in. I want to trade with with Stephen Thompson. I want to show people I can do karate. I got kung fu. And you had opportunities to take down Thompson. He didn't do it. I think with Tucker Goff, he's got a little bit of that like machismo. I want to show you that I can do it all different kind of ways. But he's got good wrestling. He's got that in his back pocket. He's using it more often as far as we're concerned. That's our opinion. His striking is not terrible. It's also not elite. <laughs> he averages about 2.94 strikes per minute, absorbs 2.84 as we mentioned before. So, yeah, barely above you know, that even point there for striking. He has solid wrestling. Doesn't use it enough for our liking. Averages 2.46 takedowns per fight, right? Just needs to use it sometimes. Go for at least one or two takedowns per round. He went almost two full rounds with Ramos and didn't even try a takedown. In a fight that was close. It was going back and forth. We mentioned before, his only two blemishes in the UFC were both split decision losses. Never been finished in the UFC. Has a few fights in the UFC. Uh, So when he has lost, it's been, you know, barely. On the other side, there's always two sides, right, to each statement per se. It's a byproduct of his fighting style or the lack there of finishing ability, going to decisions, going to split decisions. My man, Turkogov, has not had a finish since before Donald Trump was president, to give you time, period. 2014 was the last time that he got a finish. Yeah, almost nine years ago. Before the presidency of Donald Trump. So President Trump went into office and left. And this guy still hasn't had a finish again. <laughs> so, yeah, I really question his, his power in his hands, maybe, right? Submission ability, just not really there. <clears throat> Here's some other concerns we have right now. The activity, cancellation of fights, what's going on there? Some of this is available to you. You can look it up on topology, but I'll, I'll give you the short and sweet of it. Since 2015, he's only fought five times. Yeah, that that's an eight-year span, five fights. He did not fight at all last year, 2022. He had three fights scheduled last year. All three got canceled. One outside of his control. That, I believe, was the Alvarez fight, the one that we were going to see this time initially. Alvarez backed out. Something with Alvarez. Another one, he backed out. It didn't say why, but he backed out. And the third one was a botched weight cut by him, by Tugacoff. Are these the kind of red flags you see from a fighter that's either, like, disinterested or maybe younger fighter who's immature or maybe undisciplined fighter? You know, some something in this this category. It could be complete coincidence. He's at a point in his career, you know, early 30s. He's a bit of a veteran, been around for a while. You know, tend, comes from a Russian culture where it tends to be disciplined, you know, and a.k.a. good gym, so on and so on. So I just have questions there. You know, where's his heart? Where's his mind? How much does he want it? You know, If he was facing a better opponent here, I might have to flip the script and say, I'm going with that guy. But with all these different concerns on the table, we're still sticking with Tuka to win the fight by decision. Price tag, super duper scary. (laughs) And with it where it's at, it's going to become a parlay piece. We will parlay it. We're not going to be hypocrites here. We're going to put it into at least one parlay. That's it. A parlay where we're going to have, let's say, three or four legs and risk maybe a quarter unit to a half unit. It wins, it wins, it loses, it loses. we're not going to lose our back for it, okay? But we would highly recommend, try to steer clear of this money line. The value is gone, right? <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, the value's completely been stripped away. There's no value there. Minus 500 didn't change. Yeah, I, I don't put it into one parlay, that's it. Leave it alone. You got a young fighter here who could come in, surprise some people. He does have submission ability, right? We said it a few times. I'll say it again. This Elvis Brennan kid, you know, like 11 of his 13 wins have been finishes, high finish rate, and then 10 of those 11 wins have been by submission. The betting spots we like the most of this fight are the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 180. Fight starts round three. That line's not available just yet. <clears throat> Turkegoff by decision at plus one hundred. Brenner by decision at plus six fifty. And then Brenner by submission. We said this whole thing about why we would think Turk is going to win. But with Brenner at plus six fifty, that's just disrespectful. I, I don't I don't know why that line's out there like that. If you can get Brenner anywhere around that range by decision, remember Turkegoff has lost by decision, the decision twice. Shit, but the split decision win there by Brenner, right? <laughs> Either way, I'm gonna sprinkle some of that action on Brenner by decision, by split decision, and then also by submission whenever that comes out. Because that's one of his favorite ways to win the fight. So as you can tell, I feel like Brennan is or Brenner, it's a live underdog. Play it how you want. We're still gonna stick with our initial pick of uh took off the Russian to win by decision, but we'll have some we'll have a variety of action in this fight. If you want our full bet tip sheet. Every week we post that on our newsletter, subscribe to our newsletter. The links down below. It's completely 100% free full write-ups, breakdowns of every UFC event, Bellator, PFL, Victor, yeah. Nice breakdown emailed right to you in the week. We don't spam you, you get your email breakdown and then about 24 to 48 hours before the actual card kicks off, you receive an email with our full bet tip sheet of all of our official bets. So in this breakdown video, you're going to hear some of the bets we're going to be looking at, the ones we'll be considering, but the bet tip sheet comes out closer to the event and you'll want to have that if you just want to know exactly what we're doing, you want to trail our bets. So that's the breakdown for this fight. Let's move on, guys. All right, moving up the card, we've got a featherweight bout, 145 pounders, Shane Young, who hails from New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand to be specific, first, Blake the builder. I want to call him Bob the Builder, right? American Fighter. So these two guys are squaring off. Prelim card. Let me give you the pick right now to get it out the way for those who need to move forward in this video. We'd like Blake Biller to win the fight by decision. Currently sitting around a plus 110 range. It's, it's a pick'em. I wouldn't even feel comfortable calling him an underdog. It is a pick'em. But we'd like Builder to win the fight by decision. The basics on these two guys: Shane Young goes by Smoking. That kind of rolls with the tongue, right? Shane Smoking Young, 13 and six overall, two and three in his last five fights. 29 years old, five foot eight in height with a 72 and a half inch reach. So height and reach wise, same height, but a good four inches or so, or four inches inches or so advantage for Shane Young for reach. For Blake, who goes by El Animal, he's seven zero and one overall, undefeated, on a nice streak got the one draw, and it was like a split majority draw type of thing where he may have won on one card and then lost on the other two cards, kind of like what happened the night with um, Choi. Anyway, Blake is fighting out of California, 32 years old, 5'8", 68.5-inch reach, trains out of sub-fighter MMA. Those are the basics. We don't have a whole lot in terms of striking stats. For Blake, like what we do have is based on just one fight. So I'll tell you right now when we go over some of his striking numbers, it's a small sample size, right? So for Blake, 15 total fights, orthodox stance, right-handed, right-handed fighter, average fight time, three minutes, 14 seconds. That was his one fight on Contender Series. He landed 2.78 strikes per minute in that fight, absorbed 3.71, so had a negative striking ratio in that fight, had no takedowns, did have some control time on the ground and did a great job on the ground, actually, which we'll talk about. And has 0% takedown defense now again, those are numbers based upon one fight, so we we can't Get too far into that right As for Shane young a little bit more of a sample size as far more in the UFC Average fight time about 11 minutes 11 seconds has 24 total fights under his belt Negative striking ratio excuse me. No not negative about an even striking ratio lands about 5.22 per minute absorbs 5.01 I highlight the 5.01 because even though it's not a negative striking ratio, it is a lot of punches. 56% takedown defense, and average is only .80, or about one takedown, per 15 minutes or per fight. <clears throat> What's to like about Shane Young? Quality of competition. He's fought the better of the two schedules when you compare them two. Very good core strength, in wonderful shape. Wrestling background, wrestled in high school, you, you see that when he fights. Very durable. In 19 professional total fights, only been finished one time. The concerns are the layoff, inconsistent schedule, like two and three this his last five fights. He'll chase submissions. He'll go for a heel hook, end up on his back. And, of course, the amount of punches he's absorbing. For Blake, the things we like about him, his top control game, moving to submission attempts, undefeated, high finish rate, good competition level for someone making their pro debut in the UFC. Like fought for CFFC, contender series got to win so on and so on. My concerns for Blake are UFC debut, Bright Lights, Australia, there's that pressure, the step up in competition, and limited striking attack. He's not one-dimensional, but does kind of require some ground activity. So Young, we mentioned before, has a wrestling background, good striking, he's faced a better competition. Where he struggles is the decision-making and his stand-up defense. So for example, He absorbs five strikes per minute. And if you go back and look at his fight against Morales, he's in a good position. He's on top, man. He's right there. And then he, he goes to chase a heel hook. It doesn't even not even close to having it. And you're like, what are you doing, dude? In a fight where the commentators appeared to be favoring Shane at that point in the fight, in a close fight. A fight he would go on to lose by decision. I thought to myself in watching the fight and then hearing the commentators that in that moment he could have lost the fight just by simply chasing that heel hook instead of just staying on top. He was there in a good position, former wrestler, you got to get a guy, but so, yeah. If he makes that kind of mistake against Builder, Builder is very effective in top position. Even if you think that Shane is stronger core strength-wise, and he is very strong, Builder's effective on top, he'll do awkward things, I, and I saw him in one fight put his legs around someone's neck, like start choking them with his legs, but then he ends up going for the arm and then cranks. I forgot that submission when you grab the arm and the elbow and stuff, not quite a arm bar, but yeah, he's he's crafty on top. And if Shane Young gives him that opportunity, you know, he'll jump on it. Shane Young trains out of City Kickboxing. If you haven't heard, the home of some very good fighters, you know, top level fighters like Israel Adesanya. So very good gym, good environment, the time difference, I don't want to make a big deal of this, but there's going to be a substantial time difference in terms of where Blake lives and resides in Trains, which is California, and where Shane Young resides. For the Americans out there, it's okay. You forg- you, I forgive you. We're not great with maps. We're kind of known for being terrible at geography. But let me explain to you this, or as my Spanish friends will tell you, let me explain you something. New Zealand is off the eastern coast of Australia and they have approximately a two hour time difference. So when I say off the coast, it's, you know, you can't see it, but but, you know, you can't see New Zealand or can't see Australia from New Zealand vice versa. But imagine a two hour time difference from Eastern Australia from New Zealand, which only has one time zone because it's just one long country, kind of like, you know, similar to how you would imagine Japan or how you imagine like a large California. Mind you though, this event's not being held in Eastern, Australia it's being held in Western Australia correct right in Perth, Australia So the time difference from Perth, Australia all the way to New Zealand is actually five hours So there is a bit of a time difference there that Mr Uh, Shane young will have to accommodate to but nowhere near the 16 hour difference that Blake builder will face so for Blake and his camp probably gonna try to get there I Would imagine at least five six days right in advance, you know, so probably Monday or Tuesday. Um, To get themselves fully acclimated so in terms of home court advantage Whatever that matters uh, Shane will have a little bit of that now as for builder. He's making his UFC debut Nice win on contender series more importantly. He was a plus 180 underdog up against a prospect that You know contender series fights. We understand those are fights where we don't know much about the fighters You can't live and die by the money lines point is he was fighting a good prospect someone that was had some clout, put it that way. He went in there, did a great job, got a finish as a plus-one underdog, and he's also a dog here again. He fights well as an underdog. I do like that about him. He likes to make his, fight, his fights ugly, excuse me, work close, and then eventually find a submission. He tends to break his opponents down, like he wears them down, like the way Khabib would wear opponents down. Khabib would never you know, knock someone out with one punch. He's just like, grind on you, grind on you, to the point where you make a mistake, and then he's right there to take advantage of it. He's very effective in top position, as we mentioned before, likes to look for submissions. Five of his eight fights has have been resulted in a finish where he actually finished the fight. So that's five of his eight fights, pretty good finishing rate. And though it's his UFC debut, he has fought good competition. He fought in CFFC and obviously on Contender Series. We were just talking in prior fight. About one of the late replacements coming into this card and it's a fighter who hasn't doesn't have that kind of experience hasn't fought in cfc has been fighting in like smaller regional promotions so at least in the case of builder he has fought some okay competition and did get a finish on contender series you know so i think he's earned the right he's justified in being here the only concern we have for builder there's only one the step up in competition shane will still be you know shane young will still be the toughest fighter he has ever faced and Shane Young has been in the UFC for a while, has faced some good competition. So from that standpoint, it's still his debut. Those who are betting on Young or feel like Young has the advantage here, we understand it, we get it. He has the experience advantage for sure. But though he has the experience advantage, and though he's fought the better strength of schedule, we're still gonna side with Builder. He's still undefeated. He's got you know some momentum. He's been a lot more active. I have questions about where Young is at right now with his career. And so I think Builder comes in here under all the pressure and the excitement and gets a hard-fought decision win. The betting spots we like for this fight are the fight starts round three. The line's not available just yet on that. The over two and a half rounds, that's sitting at minus 135, but expected to move around. That's the early line. And then Builder, by decision, that's currently at plus 335. I was surprised to see it. Again, that'll probably fluctuate quite a bit as well. But Shane Young's tough. He's not easy. He's not an easy out. I think if Builder were to get a win here, it is probably by decision. He has had some finishes. But again, step up in competition. So that's the breakdown, guys. We like Builder the American to win the fight. What do you guys think? Let us know down below. Leave some comments. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Next up, we've got a strawweight bout. Women's division It's the only female fight on the card. 115 pounders. Luma Lukbume versus Elise Reed. For those who have to fast forward in the video, I'll give you our pick right away. We have Luma Lukbume to win by split decision. That is our pick. Should be a very close fight. As for the particulars, Luma is 7-3 three overall. 3-2 three in her last five fights. She's from Thailand. 27 years old. Pretty big favorite here. Currently lined at minus 270. You can get a reading on the side at plus 230. For Luma, she's five foot one in height. Quite small in stature, 61 and a half inch reach, 27 years old, as we mentioned before. She trains out of Bang Tao, Muay Thai and MMA. As for the American, Elise Reed, she's six and two overall, so similar amount of mixed martial arts experience. We'll talk more about the Muay Thai experience of Loma shortly. So reed six and two overall, three and two in her last five fights out of Princeton, New Jersey. She owns her own gym, does some training in a different gym. Businesswoman, very smart, college graduate, 30 years old, 5'3 in height, a little bit taller. I mean, that's a big difference when you're talking about 5'1 to 5'3, right? And about an inch and a half more in the reach side with 63 inches. And for at least reach, she trains out of kick side mixed martial arts. For Loma, orthodox fighter, she means she's right-handed. Averaging fight time of 15 minutes. That means she tends to go the full distance, right? 15 minutes, three five-minute rounds. Lands 4.12 strikes per minute, absorbs 2.56, has a Muay Thai fighting style, and lands 1.83 takedowns per 15 minutes. That was a surprising stat. Didn't expect to see that high of a number. And we mentioned before the Muay Thai background. She's fought hundreds of Muay Thai bouts, supposedly. Now, you don't see those on topology, but put it this way, she has a very decorated Muay Thai background, and even though she only shows as fighting eight mixed martial arts bouts, She has been in quite a bit of mixed martial arts, uh, combat sports fights of some kind. What's the level of competition? I don't know. What's the like about Luma? Her striking is excellent. She's light in her feet, quick movements, gets in out of range, so on and so on. Fighter IQ, I'd say pretty high. Again, good record so far in mixed martial arts, but again, has the background. The concerns for Luma, her ground game, trades punches sometimes at her opponent. It can be a little bit one-dimensional. And last but not least, her finishing ability, right? Sort of non-existent. For Elise Reed, average fight time, 12 minutes. So same thing, tends to go deep into the fights, almost to full decisions. Averaging 2.77 strikes per minute. Absorbing 3.57, not good, negative strike ratio. Averaging 0.94 takedowns per 15 minutes, so just about one takedown per fight. And has 50% takedown defense. What's to like about Elise Reed offhand? Balanced fighter, good power in her hands, commits to her punches and her kicks. Fights with confidence. She's like a certain swagger about her. Smart fighter and smart even outside the cage, right? Owns a business, college graduate. Her finishing ability could be better. Four of her six career wins have been by decision. Sajara Eubanks' fight got dominated, been inconsistent recently, two and two in her last four fights. Durability could be some questions there. She's been finished in both of her career losses. Her hands are a bit low when she fights, leaves herself a bit open to get punched. As for the write-up in this fight, again, we like Luma Lukbume to win by split decision. Luma is the only Thai fighter in the UFC. We mentioned before, a decorated Muay Thai background, including hundreds of fights. A very good striker, works very good at range. Her Achilles heals her grappling. She can be taken down, and in the case of her fight against Godinez, she can be held down for long periods of time. Her wins in the UFC have concluded wins over Sam Hughes and Jinyu Fry. Is Jinyu Fry and Sam Hughes, are those fighters better than Elise Reed? Is, would that be comparable? I'm not. I'm not sure that Sam Hughes is better than Elise Reed. They did fight, and Sam Hughes beat her, but I think that's kind of in the range where Elise Reed is at. So, just kind of a comparison there. Luma has excellent footwork. Does a good job moving in range, getting her punches off, then moving out of range to avoid counter-strikes. Because of her struggles on the ground, she absolutely has to keep this fight upright, at least for the better part of two of the three rounds to win the scorecards, right? You have to imagine. Reed's more of a balanced fighter, has a better, I think, overall ground game. Not a much better ground game than than Luming, but she's got a better ground game. And though she likes to bang on the feet, she does go to the ground at times. She lacks submissions as a professional, but does have two, does have two submissions as an amateur. And if you follow her on Instagram, social media, she seems to be like, she's in a gi, she's on the ground, she's rolling, she's working at it. I'm not sure if that's a new thing, but it seems to be a part of her training. So we can assume that she's trying to get better in those areas. For Luma Lukbume, against a grappler who's just a, a little better than her, could be the difference in the fight. It could be a matter of her not getting up, could not, you know, getting out of a, a hold of some kind. So, a slight edge in the grappling could be the difference maker for Reed in this fight. I think on the feet, the edge goes to Luke Booming. So, bottom line, I think dur- I think durability wise, we shouldn't have any issues. I think we'd still go the full distance here, right? Neither fighter is very much well known for their finishing ability, but if someone got, if someone got finished, it would probably be at least Reed. Again, both of her losses in her professional ranks have been both by finish. <clears throat> Re tends to ha- hold her hands pretty low. We talked about that. She's an easy target. Her hands are low. Her hands are wide. For a straight jab to get through, not much there to stop it. With Luma, Luma's gonna probably have a speed advantage. That could be a way to tag Elise a few times. You know, hit her a few times and move. So, for Elise, she likes to get the crowd going. She'll she'll gesture towards her opponent. She'll gesture towards her, you know, the the media people. She has a bit of a personality, has a bit of a swagger. It comes off as confident swagger, though. It's not like disrespectful swagger. Like if her opponent's backing up a lot, she'll be like, come on, let's go. You know, so she's got that sort of edge to her. And I think at times it can really play the benefit of a fighter. Like if it's a really close fight and the judges are just people and they see one fighter is like, hey, come on, let's fight more. Other fighters backing up, you know. It could have, it could affect they're just people. We're going with Luma for two reasons. Number one. She's the better striker. When you look at the striking stats, we went through them with you. She's averaging more strikes, and she's absorbing less. And it's not like a super big margin, but it's big enough, not to mention the fact that Elise Reed has a negative striking ratio. And then the resumes. I think Aluma has a stronger resume and has more quality wins. You know, if you're comparing them side by side, you got people like Godinez, for example, Angela Hill. Those two fighters, Loma fought both of them, went the full distance with both of them. That's six total rounds with pretty good fighters that at least we could say are notable people that we know. Loma has wins over Jinyu Fry and over Sam Hughes, right? Meanwhile, Reed fought Sam Hughes and she got finished by Hughes. Now, MMA math doesn't always check out, so we're not using it as our our tell-all here. Just putting it out there. Loma lands more strikes, absorbs less strikes. She's got the striking advantage. If the fight is on the feet for the better part of two or three rounds, Loma's probably going to have a distinct advantage. Now, That's if the fight's on the feet. If Elise Reed takes the fight to the ground for a better part of, let's just say, a round and a half, then anything is possible. And I think we're going to see some effort to do that. If she does that with some success, it just takes one part of a round, part of another round. We get the judges. They're just people. And we end up with a tight decision, possibly a split decision. The betting spots we like the most for this fight are Loma by split decision or Reed by split decision. How you play it up to you. You could do the prop bets where you could do a split decision result. So either way, you're covered. You could play on Luma. You could play on Reed when those split decision prop bets come out. Fight goes over two and a half rounds. Fight starts round three. All the spots that will be on our radar. We'll also put Loma into at least one parlay. Now, we do like her. We have confidence. It is women's MMA. It's going to the scorecards. Remember that because ultimately, you're now not going to be just betting against one fighter. You're betting against the judges. And they have a tendency, a high tendency to leave us holding empty bed slips in the night. So if you have to bet in this fight, look at the distance props. We're probably going into round two and probably going into round three. We're probably going to see a decision. Those are things that you can expect here. Elise Reed has been finished, yes, twice in her career, and she does have four or five finishes herself. She's got some finishing ability. But if Loma fights like Loma fights, she's like a butterfly. You know, she hits you and moves and hits you and moves. And three rounds of that is still going to end up with a tight scorecard because one judge is going to say to themselves, well, Loma's moving backwards. At least Reed's coming forward. At least, at least landed that one punch, that one round, or had that one moment when she was like, "Hey, fight me!" The Nate Diaz moment, and next thing you know, we end up with a split score scorecard. So, for the final bets in this, remember, as always, check our final bet tip sheet that comes out via our newsletter. That'll come out 24 to 48 hours before the event. We're just waiting for those final lines to come out so we can complete our our final bet tip sheet for you guys. Subscribe to our newsletter, it's free, links down below, full breakdowns, written breakdowns, just like the video breakdown you're hearing right now, you get the written breakdown as well, right to your inbox, so nice and convenient, nice and wrapped up there for you, look at it maybe when you're on the road, laying in bed, whatever, on your free time, we don't spam you, we don't send you too many emails throughout the week, subscribe to our Substack newsletter, full written breakdowns, UFC, Bellator events, PFL Invicta, and you also get again, a separate email with a tip sheet for each event, all of our bets. In the case of this fight, again, we'll be looking at the split decision props for both fighters, fight going over two and a half rounds, fight starts round three, and then of course, looking to possibly put Loma into some kind of creative parlay. We'll have it all there for you in the tip sheet at the end of the week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us in this breakdown. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Let's move on. Hey, let's keep talking business here. Next fight in the card is a featherweight bout, 145 pounds between Jack Jenkins from Australia. (laughs) That's my version of the Australian accent there for you. Versus Don Shanis, American fighter who hails from Massachusetts, the Northeast. I'll give you the pick right now for those who have to move forward. Maybe it might be in a rush. Maybe you're working in LA or New York City and you need things right now, right? Jenkins, into the distance, is the prediction if I had to specifically nail a round, round one or round two. That's not a round, so round round two, <laughs> that's my prediction. This may be one of the most lopsided bouts in the card. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Jenkins is very unlikely to win. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, Jer- Jenkins is very likely to win. <laughs> It just comes down to how or when. If the fight were to get to round three, even decision, that in itself would be a huge accomplishment. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to you know point any jokes here at uh, Don Shainis. My humble opinion, sitting behind my desk in my home studio, behind a microphone, is that Don Shainis is probably not UFC level right now in his career. He could be at some point. Just not right now. So Jenkins is 10-2 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights. A favorite here sitting roughly around minus 335 to minus 340. And you have Shainis on the side at plus 275. So a very strong favorite is Mr. Jack Jenkins. He's the hometown kid. He's from Australia. The fight's being held in Australia. He's 29 and 11 months, so about to be 30. So let's consider him 30 years old. 5'7 in height with a 68 inch reach, and he's from absolute MMA and conditioning. As for Don Sheinus, who goes by Don Shameless (laughs) Sheinus. Okay. I I see the lingo there. I get it. He's 12 and 4 overall, 4 1 in his last five fights. A plus 260 to plus 270 underdog in that range. He's a big underdog, put it that way. 31 years old, so same age range. 5'6", about the same height, and 67-inch reach, about the same reach as his, as his opponent here, Jack Jenkins. Excuse me. <clears throat> I was just eating some Taco Bell. I ain't got a lot of you. So Don trades out of Citadel Martial Arts, and fitness. Never heard of that gym. Excuse me. Never heard of the absolute MMA conditioning either. So both these guys are coming out of gyms that are for whatever it's worth. Gyms that I've never heard of. Some background on these two guys or some stats first. Jack Jenkins. Average fight time 14 minutes 30 seconds. Has 12 total mixed martial arts fights. Fights in both right hand stance and left handed stance. So he's a switch stance fighter. We consider him a wrestler. That's his fighting style. Lands about 3.59 strikes per minute. Absorbs 1.17. 4.14 takedowns per fight. That's impressive. That's 4.14 takedowns per 15 minutes, but three rounds, 15 minutes per fight with 100% take on defense. So clearly wrestling is part of his big thing. Good pace and pressure. He earned a UFC contract by going through contender series. You like that. Whereas a guy who's maybe coming in as a late call-up to the UFC or replacement, so he kind of earned his way here. Our concerns for Jack Jenkins: um, number one, pressure. This is a lot of pressure. He is a young fighter. He's fighting in front of his hometown. You know, we've heard different fighters have varying responses to that kind of situation. So there is some pressure. It is his UFC debut. <laughs> Underlying the pressure standpoint, right? UFC debut, hometown, home crowd. And then competition. Even though he's fought good competition in the regional scene, it still isn't UFC caliber. Fortunately for him, he is fighting an opponent that, you know, we could debate that if he's UFC caliber. But still, ultimately, Jack Jenkins, in his path to getting here, this could arguably be his toughest opponent. As for Sheamus, he's a right-handed fighter, 31 years old, 22 total combat sports fights between amateur and pro and boxing and exhibitions everything else all that combined 22 fights he averages a 30 second fight time not a good stat for him because that was a fight he lost where he absorbed 18 fights i mean 18 fights 18 strikes permanent and, and landed six permanent so it's a short short fight obviously got beat up it happens we'll talk about that fight in a second <laughs> He averages zero takedowns for 15 minutes with 0% takedown, 0% takedown defense, but that's again a short, a small sample size. Not really indicative of the kind of fighter that he is. Now that we got that out the way, let's give you our write-up, our newsletter write-up on this fight and sort of our general notes. We like Jenkins it's in the distance. We mentioned before, this may be one of the most lopsided fights in the entire card. If you're betting on Jenkins, what you're trying to figure out is when he beats it, when he beats Don, is it going to be round one, round two, round three, over two and a half, under two and a half, submission KO. At some point, the numbers suggest that Jack gets a finish here and probably gets it within the first half of the fight. Let's put it that way. Excuse me. It'll be the debut in the UFC for Jack Jenkins. He won his fight on Contender Series. That's how he got this opportunity. And lucky for him, he is fighting an opponent that, <laughs> yeah, you could you could debate. Does Don Shanes, you know, have the level of skill to be here? You know, for for Jack Jenkins, this is a nice opportunity for him. He likes to wrestle. When things are going his way for Jack Jenkins, he's smothering his opponent. He's ripping them to the ground. He's wearing them out. That's where he excels. Good cardio, pace and pressure, the term heavy on top, you know, chest to chest, just wearing people out. If you've never grappled before, I remember that first time I got in the mat and I was grappling. And I wrestled a little bit like you know, up to middle school, but didn't wrestle past that. I'm talking like grappling, you know, jiu-jitsu grappling. In a gi, without a gi, whatever. Man, the first few times I went against the older guys. Who were like, you know, these guys are like their fifties and stuff, but man, they would put that that top heavy on you, and like chest to chest, I I would tap out, especially early on when I wasn't really sure what do I do, like you know, shrimp out stuff like that. It was just it was too much. I couldn't even breathe. You know, these guys laying on my chest, and Jenkins does that well. He lays on you, chest to chest, wears you out. That that's his style. His win on Contender Series was a prime example of that. You saw that on display. As for Sheamus, it's almost as if like he should enjoy this opportunity. Enjoy it while it lasts. You know, have a diary, write some notes, enjoy the travel. You're going all the way to Australia. You're from Massachusetts. Because ultimately, it, it just appears as if he is wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> Or maybe he's right place, right time, meaning this is the the best moments of his life in mixed martial arts. Like Even if he fights, let's say, 10, 15, 20, seven, 8, whatever, five more fights after he gets released from the UFC at some point, he can always tell people, yeah, I fought in the UFC. I actually fought UFC 284. And quite frankly, whatever he does with his life, it's still a badge of honor. I feel like he's living in that moment. And all he should do is do the best he can, obviously train, prepare, whatever, but live in that moment. Uh, His debut, his last fight, when he fought Yusuf, he got submitted in 30 seconds, but my goodness, let me tell you. Excuse me. The... Tapology report of getting submitted in 30 seconds, that's one thing. It's actually how it unfolded. He got caught in a tie clinch from Yusuf. That's simple just hands behind the you know back of the neck, standing, you know, pulling the head down. Makes it easier to knee somebody. He took a handful of knees. <laughs> he had no ability, skill level, plan, response system to get out of the clinch. He just starts to punch like this while his head's being pulled down. Excuse me, while he's taking knees into the you know chest, head area, not getting out of it. That goes on for the better part of, let's say, 20 seconds. And then Yusuf just grabs onto a guillotine because he's got the neck kind of under control. And then from there, excuse me a second. wraps up the guillotine, and gets a submission finish within 30 seconds. If that's not a clue of what I mean when I say Don Shanice is probably not UFC worthy, then I don't know what else is. Has that happened to other fighters that are UFC caliber? Could that be just one fight? Could it be circumstance, bad luck? Of all, of course, all those things. In his defense for Don Shanice in that fight, he was a late replacement. So he got the call up. He wasn't on the roster at the point. They needed somebody last minute. They call him up. Now here's his second fight. Quite frankly, it appears as if the UFC's like, listen, we we like this Jack Jenkins guy. He's from Australia. Dana White, you know, product. Let's be honest. If the UFC has a Dana White guy or just some guy they call the last minute to fill a spot, who they want to you know push forward, considering you know personality wise is about equal. Neither one has a bigger fan base. Let's just compare them apples for apples. It's probably Jack Jenkins. And quite frankly, I think he just overmatches Don Shainess in almost every which way. For Shainess, one of the biggest indictments on him is the weak level of competition. My man, Jay Ellis, always finds his way back into our breakdowns, whether it's once a month, once every two, three cards, Bellator, UFC, he just always finds his way. And so, yeah, Don Shain has fought Jay Ellis, not just recently. He fought him last year, 2022. And is it fair to say that anyone who's fighting Jay Ellis within the last 12 to 48 months, if you're fighting Jay Ellis, it's, it's far-fetched to think that you would have the skill set to be in the UFC, if if that's not the biggest indictment here on, on Don Shanes. So, yeah, Jalus, the 16 and 106 Jalus. Yeah, 16 wins, 106 losses. Has become like a folk hero (laughs) in mixed martial arts. Still fighting, fights a ton. Usually gets finished in round one. That's usually his MO. So, Sheamus was fighting him last year. We're talking just three fights ago. And now, in the UFC, first fight, 30 seconds, gets finished by Yusuf. Makes sense, right? It would be a huge accomplishment. Let's say Sheinus wins this fight. Imagine that. <laughs> I mean, it would be gigantic. I mean, he needs this win more than uh, my man Jenkins. He really does. The reality is, it's going to just be so hard for him to survive the pace and the pressure of Jenkins, who's just relentless. You know, keeps you know dragging to the ground. So Jenkins likely scrapes Shane to the ground early probably early in round one. Jenkins averages 4.14 takedowns per fight. There you go. It's a little over one takedown per round. I think if Jenkins doesn't ground and pound him out, he'll force Shainis to go into a bad position, then he'll submit him. At some point, the pace and pressure will break Shainis. And it's not as if like Shainis is a bad fighter, so that's why he's gonna lose. It's also in large part because Jenkins is a pretty good prospect. So this is not a good matchup for Sheamus. Memory-wise, again, like history-wise, looking back with your family, like I went to Australia. Yeah. So, again, Jenkins probably round one, round two gets the finish. The bets we like for this fight are Jenkins into the distance at plus 100. Fight that's not in the distance at minus 195, excuse me. The under two and a half at minus 180. Jenkins to win in round one. And um, maybe even Jenkins in round two depends on the on the, on the bet value. It depends on the, on the return of the price tag. We don't have those yet. And then we'll also consider Jenkins as a parlay piece. So right now sitting at currently minus three thirty-five, he's in that prime parlay range where it's like you know you're not going to put three hundred dollars or so or so up to win a hundred, but you feel confident he'll win. He's not minus six or 700. He's still under that minus 500 threshold for us. So we'll parlay him maybe, you know, let's say two, three times. For Don Shanice, could we find ourselves doing a hedge bet at some point? It depends how our ticket looks at the end of the night. Could we put a small hedge bet on Don Shanice? I, I guess we could find ourselves doing that, but it would strictly be a hedge bet. It's very hard to imagine he wins this fight that's your breakdown boys and girls we like jack Jenkins to win the fight into the distance most likely some point in round one if not really round two let's move on okay keeping it moving next fight in the cards gonna be jamie malarkey versus francisco prado this will be a lightweight bout 155 pounds For those who have to move forward in the video, we'll give you the pick right away. We like Malarkey into the distance to win the fight. That's our pick. Malarkey to win the fight inside the distance. As for the particular two fighters on their basics, let's look here first at Malarkey. He's 15 and five overall. Three and two in his last five fights. He's the prohibitive favorite, currently sitting at minus 270 range, depends on your book. Some have him at 275, 280, 265. You get it. Where Francisco Prado, who's making his UFC debut, is around plus 230. Makes sense. He's an underdog. We'll talk more about why he's the legitimate underdog and why we like Malarkey, right? All right, back to their profiles. Gives me a second here. So Malarkey from Australia, he'll be the hometown fighter. Though Prado, who's from Argentina, is not terribly far from home if you do the whole like bottom of the globe thing. If you're not seeing this on YouTube, you're probably wondering, what am I doing with my hands? Yeah, I'm like doing the whole bottom of the globe thing, like bottom of a smear, smear, sphere. So Malarkey, who hails from Australia, will be the hometown kid, 28 years young. He feels like he's older than that, just the way he looks, right? Six foot high with a 74 inch reach, he's out of Magnus Martial Arts arena as for Prado 11 and 0 overall undefeated very impressive so he's obviously 5 0 in his last five fights the underdog here around plus 215 to plus 210 he's from Argentina 20 years young so a baby my man is not even legal to drink in the United States but he's traveling halfway around the world to fight at a pay-per-view UFC event the future is bright for Prado Five foot ten, so he'll be the shorter fighter for, by about 2 inches, excuse me, uh, under Malarkey. And has a 70.9-inch reach, so there'll be about a 3-inch and change advantage there in reach for Malarkey. And for Francisco Prado at Argentina, he's from Alpha Team. The detailed numbers in these guys in terms of striking and takedown numbers, Malarkey is a switch stance fighter, so left-handed, right-hand lead. He'll go back and forth. 22 total combat sports fights under his belt. Average fight time for Malarkey just under 10 minutes. Lands 4.18 strikes per minute. Absorbs 4.88. The 4.88 is obviously a little higher than 4.18. So for Malarkey, that is a negative striking ratio. And what that means, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's absorbing more strikes than what he is dishing out. That's never a good game plan, right? For takedowns for Malarkey, landing 2.53 takedowns per 15 minutes and defending at a 66% rate. Those are the numbers there on Mr. Malarkey. For Malarkey, the things we like about him finishing ability, good level of competition, very active. Our concerns for Malarkey durability. He's been finished three of his five pro defeats, excuse me. The loss to Farazzium. I might never forgive him for that one because I have my questions about whether Ferraz is UFC level even though he did win his last fight. So that loss has not aged well. And lastly, for Malarkey, he's inconsistent. He's 3-3 three three in his last six fights. As for the newcomer, Francisco Prado, he's only 20 years old, he's from Argentina, and based upon Tapology's profile, all of his fights have been in Argentina. He very well have, may have never left Argentina or the continent of South America prior to this opportunity. So bright lights, big city, far from home, huge opportunity, pay per view. Will any of that get to him? I don't know. It would get to me if I was twenty years old. And, and maybe it maybe gets to him in a good way. It depends, right? It could be a positive motivation or it could be a distraction. For Prado, he has eleven total fights under his belt. We don't have average average fight time takedown numbers or striking numbers on him because he never fought in the UFC what we do like about him is he's undefeated 100% finish rate all his wins are by finish that's 6 submissions 5 TKOs has a very strong physique looks intimidating you know passes the eyeball test as they say in football our concerns for him UFC debut huge stage he is a replacement fighter right He's filling in for another fighter. No, it's not like last minute replacement, but he's still filling in. He's only been fighting in the Argentina Argentina regional scene down South America. Has not fought outside that. Is that bad fighting? Is it is it low level? I I don't I can't tell you. I can't tell. You. Is it LFA probably level? No. Is it CFFC level? Probably not. Is it Cage Warriors level? Probably not. But we. We've been hearing there's good fighters coming out of our Hedina, and There's a few around. I can't think of the names offhand that we know within the UFC, but, you know, they've had some fighters around, so it, it could be okay. But that's been his only testing ground right up until now. This will be a significant step up in competition. And then, obviously, him being 20, 20, 20, that's two zero, only 20 years old. As for our additional notes in this fight, so we like Malarkey into the distance. We aren't extremely confident with this pick, meaning that there's definitely some room for negotiation with us here, and we're open to hearing why Prado could win. Um, But at the very least, we're confident the fight does not go to the scorecards. That's for one thing for sure. There should be some level of violence. So Prado's a replacement fighter. He's replacing Hawk Prost, who withdrew due to an injury. And for Prado, this is a... It's a big moment, big stage, but it is a huge uphill battle against a fighter who has UFC experience, who's been around, who's older, but not super old, 28, you know, just older, has more experience, right? Malarkey's a balanced fighter, high fighter IQ. It's a nice, nice way of saying he doesn't do anything amazing, right? But does a lot of things, you know, just good enough, has a blue collar attitude, big heart, not easy to finish has been finished, but like, you know, not an easy out. His finishing ability sometimes is overlooked. I, I overlooked it, I forgot about it a bit. 13 of his 15 wins have been my finish. That's a high finish rate. His wrestling is oft, often a little bit underrated too. He averages 2.5 takedowns per fight. So for Malarkey, he's a better wrestler than most people think, and it's better finishing ability, ability than most people think. On the ground, it may just be a stalemate between these two guys. On the feet is where I think is gonna have a distinct advantage, he'll have a three inch reach advantage for one, and I believe he has the better technique, the better skill set when it comes to just simple striking technique-wise, I think he's got the advantage there. So for Malarkey, the longer the fight is on the feet, he has the advantage. For Prado, he's an exciting prospect, it's a huge opportunity if you see some film on him, and there is film on him available, if you look him up, you'll see film on him. It, it looks good. The problem is, it's the competition level. You know, you're fighting only in one country, a smaller country, and have you been tested? You know, how does he square up against a UFC caliber athlete? It's a gigantic step up, right? A win for Brado would be huge. It would be his debut, beating a bona fide UFC fighter in Australia, twenty years old. And depending upon how he does it, let's say he gets a finish of some kind, an exciting finish, it would just be huge. It would be huge. And for Prado, hopefully the gravity of the situation, the pressure, all this stuff, it doesn't get to him. And maybe he shows up. But we're going to go with Malarkey to be crafty enough at some point to find that opportunity, to find the chink in the armor, and then take Prado to a point where he's never been at. You know, drag him into late round two, round three. And for Malarkey, he's a blue-collar fighter. He's from Australia. The crowd's going to be cheering for him. At some point, he finds the chink in the armor for the young fighter and and gets to win into the distance. All that said, will we have possibly some kind of a hedge bet on Prado? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, because it just seems like, man, you could sort of see it happening, right? Young fighter, nothing to lose, going half around the world. Late replacement, yes, but not super late. The betting spots we like for this fight are the fight knock with the distance at minus 195, the under two and a half rounds at minus 140, Prado to win in round one, and Malarkey into the distance at plus 120. So Prada to win in round one, that line's not available yet, but we'll be playing that line. And then Malarkey to win into the distance is plus 120. So I'll repeat that again. Our betting spots here are gonna be the fight knock with the distance at minus 195, under two and a half, at, two, under two and a half excuse me, at minus 140, the Prado to win the fight in round one and Malarkey to win inside the distance at plus 120. Based upon the props that we like, as you can tell, we are looking at this fight not going the full distance and to see some kind of violence of some sort. Now, the finish by Malarkey could happen more because of his veteran savvy and just wearing out Francisco and Francisco, Francisco finding himself in deeper waters and overwhelmed. Then again, Prada, who has finishing ability, could grind out some kind of a W on the ground and show us that his grinding style and his wrestling and his grappling is not just a regional thing in Argentina, that he can actually transfer that over to the international scene. But either way, 255 pounders, and we see the fight not going the full distance. That's maybe one of the, the better areas we feel when we're talking about betting in this fight. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's move on. Okay, moving our way up the card, next fight's going to be a flyweight battle at 125 pounds between Clayton Rodriguez from Brazil and Shannon Ross from Australia, another Australian fighter. UFC did an amazing job of getting a bunch of Aussie fighters on this roster, either from Australia or New Zealand. We'll give you our pick right now to get out of the way. We have Rodriguez to win by a split prediction, split prediction, split decision. That's our prediction is Rodriguez by split decision. We can see the fight looking like Rodriguez won, but Ross is from Australia. Fight goes to the scorecards. He has his moments. The crowd, the emotions, next thing you know. We get, you know, two judges one way, one another way. So we do like the split decision win there for Rodriguez. Now, for just talking apples to apples, compare them side by side. We do feel that Rodriguez is a much better fighter. We love the heart of Shannon Ross, and we'll talk about his heart and his passion, his ability to work through adversity. He's displayed that in recent fights. But ultimately, just skill level-wise, it just feels like Rodriguez is a much better fighter. As for their particulars, for Clayton, he's 7-2 and two overall, 4-1 in one his last five fights. He hails from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 27 years old, 5'6 in height with a 67-inch reach. Instead of Team Nogueira, very good gym down in Brazil. As for Mr. Ross, who goes by the Turkish Delight. Excuse me. Mr. Ross is thirteen and six overall, three and two in his last five fights. The big dog here around plus two forty range now, plus two fifty almost. He's now based out of Queensland, Australia. Thirty three years old, five foot six in height, so the same height, and about the same reach, and he's out of potential unlimited mixed martial arts. Gotta forgive me, my allergies are just acting up, so I may have to toot my nose here in a second. You know what, let me just do it right now. Get out of the way, right? Hold on a second. Okay. And I am back. All right, striking numbers in these two guys from Rodriguez landing 5.73 per minute, absorbing 3.07. That's good output, positive ratio. averaging one takedown per fight with about 65 percent takedown defense. average fight time 15 minutes. has nine, nine total fights under his belt. he's a right-hand fighter out of a, a very good gym again, team Noguera. As for Mr. Ross, average fight time just about over just over nine minutes. Fighting 7.15 strikes per minute. So very active. A lot of output, right? But absorbing 8.43. And we'll talk about how this happened. This is only one fight, small sample size. But again, absorbing about 8.5 strikes per minute. Output 7.15. 19 total combat sports fights. He's a switch stance fighter. Again, out of Australia. What's to like about Ross? He's fighting in front of his home crowd. Pretty good experience. Fought on contender series. Had a lot of heart, a lot of passion. What we mean by that is, in his contender series fight, he got dropped maybe three times in that fight, came back, never gave up, uh, was hurt, clearly. Never gave up, kicked one forward. I think between round one and two, went to round two, I think only. Between those two rounds, Dana White actually stood up, clapped, and after round one, I think he lost round one. So it wasn't like he was clapping because Shannon Ross was winning. Dana was like, this guy, he's a warrior. Both fighters are putting on a good show. And so I think he kind of won over Dana White and the UFC brass. So he's getting this opportunity. So in terms of heart, you know, passion, desire to win, he's got that Rocky mentality. Our concerns for him, well, number one, he didn't win a contender series. You see, he didn't get a a, a finish or even decision win. He got knocked out. (laughs) And so from there, he's now getting this opportunity. I'm sure somewhere there's a bunch of guys who – Fighting contender series, who are like, What the hell, man? I I gotta win, or I gotta finish. I I need a contract. Ah! Excuse me, guys. I just have my allergies are just going. I don't think I'm sick, but long story short, excuse me, he's in the UFC, as they say, by hook or by crook. He also lost <clears throat> Wow. <clears throat> when he lost that fight to series, he's also lost as a big favorite. He was a minus two forty favorite in that spot when he dropped that fight. Just saying. He hasn't been the most active fighter either. He fought one time in the past two years. Now in his defense. Some of his bouts were canceled and wasn't his fault, but hasn't been the most active fighter. As for our write-up in this fight, we like Rodriguez to win the fight by a split decision. This fight features two former contender series fighters, obviously Rodriguez winning by decision, Ross losing. Clayton's very talented. If you watch him, just even just 30 seconds of film, you see the athleticism, the physique, it just pops off the screen. The guy's, you know, he's a very good athlete. Unfortunately, his UFC debut last year against CJ Vergara, he came up short. And he was a minus 360 favorite in that spot. Not a good look, right? CJ, being the veteran that he is, you know, having more more experience, he just pressed the pace, had more action, didn't beat up Rodriguez. No, there was no blood. No one got, you know, very hurt. Nothing like that. But just pressing the pace, having the flurries, getting the judges' attention. So Clayton loses the fight because of that. We're hoping that a learning experience for him. He can adjust, Just chalk it up again, learning experience. The biggest criticism we have of Rodriguez is his lack of urgency. So in that fight, for example, as the fight is close and he's getting backed up, instead of standing his ground and getting his respect, he's backing up and backing up, being too passive at times. Ultimately, that cost him the fight. Is that possibly a maturity thing? He is younger, late 20s. Is it a lack of fighter IQ? Something he can improve? Just mentality, strategy? You know, I don't know. Hopefully he can. Either way, he has to pick up the pace, needs a set to urgency. Otherwise, can risk losing all kind of fights that go to decision, right? Not just this one, but any fight that goes to decision where he's just showing like, you know, bad optics, bad body language, backing up. As for Mr. Ross, the Australian, he got knocked out last year on Contender Series as a big favorite. It was a rough showing for him. Put it that way. He hit the canvas at least two, if not three times in that fight, got cracked with some inside left hooks. Never saw them coming, never adjusted to them. Matter of fact, right before he got knocked out for good in round two, he's the one throwing punches. He has his opponent backed up against the fence and he's just unloading Nothing too hard. He's just like, you know, a dog. When a dog is like itching the floor, or a dog itching the glass to get out, you know, outside through a glass glass door. This man is doing that against the the cage, punching his opponent. And all of a sudden, his opponent's like, "Hold up, crack," <laughs> and that's it. So he goes from looking like he's about to win at least this round, round two after dropping round one, to losing the entire fight. And it was a it was a rough knockout. He got knocked clearly out. You know, he was on the floor, like laying down. Now Dana came in the octagon after the fight and praised both fighters on the performance. He was very high on both guys, so on and so on. At that point, maybe I should have seen the writing on the wall that, you know, he would give this guy Ross an opportunity. For Ross, he continuously let himself open. Like he would throw punches. He would, you know, do some pressuring. But when he did that, he was open. And for Dana, Dana's like, listen, I love the heart, the passion, and you would be a great victim against a young prospect like Clayton, who we need to see Clayton get a finish. You're also from Australia, Mr. Ross. You got a punch his chance. Let's sign you up. So is it Dana UFC respecting this guy's ability and liking him and, and thinking that, oh man, you know, even though he lost a contender series, you know, we, we like the guy, we see something in him. Or is he just being a What's the phrase, uh, a lamb being walked out to slaughter? We'll see, because Clayton needs to pick up the urgency. He should be better than this guy. He should be able to finish. If he can't, it's you know not a, not a great performance for him. And then as for Ross, it's like, listen, dude, go out there and just do the rocky thing. Maybe get bloodied up. Maybe still lose, but just, you know, you lose the fight but win over the fans. Who knows? Now, if it's super close, here's where the fans can play a factor if it goes to the scorecards and just it just takes one round right so we could have one round clearly for one guy <laughs> excuse me one round clear for the other guy and then one round where it's like ah oh, we don't know and that's where the fans can play a big part they're cheering more for Ross every time Ross does something maybe Ross does the like you know let's go everybody gets his hands over his head and that's just enough to get a few judges like oh I think he won that round So that that could be a factor. That's why we're choosing Clayton to win, but by decision and by a close decision. Now, because of Clayton's lack of urgency and the home court advantage, that's why we're not just choosing Clayton to win, like running away. He should win running away. He's a minus 300 favorite. He's priced that way. Everything suggests he's a better fighter, but there's a but there. If you want to chase a dog in the card, I think Ross could be that guy. One last point. Even though Ross is not chinny, chinny meaning like one punch and he's done, he wasn't that way last fight, no. But he got cracked a bunch of times. I can't remember the fighter, but he reminded me of, of a fighter that I saw recently, last year, who he gets knocked down often, but he keeps fighting. That's sort of what he does. And so it's not like, it's not chinny, it ain't great though either. <laughs> the betting spots we like for this fight are the fight going over a round and a half at minus two eighty, the fight goes the distance at minus one forty, and Clayton by decision at plus one thirty. We'll also sprinkle the split decision props for both fighters. Why are we looking distance? Why are we talking overs when we're we just mentioned before that Ross is, gets knocked down, got finished, whatever? It's more because of how Clayton fights. I do not believe that Ross has the power or skill level to, let's say, corner or finish Clayton, but I also doubt that Clayton has the sense of urgency and the, you know, the instinct to also, per, you know, pursue or finish. So, you know, if Clayton's up two rounds to nothing, if Clayton gets a knockdown, even he's gonna just, you know, still measure distance based upon what we've seen and not go in for the kill. Next thing you know, we have a decision, and so from that standpoint, that's why we're going with the overs, the fight with the distance. That's our mindset. That's a breakdown, guys. Let's move on, and please don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Okay, B. Next fight's gonna be the co-main event of the prelim card, not co-main event of the main card. Co-main event of the prelim card. Featherweight bout, one hundred and forty-five pounders. Joshua Kulabau, who's the hometown kid. He's the Australian versus the Armenian, Melsic Bogdazarian. Mr. Bogdazarian, very good fighter. We'll talk a lot about him, high level of skills, and so does Joshua Koulibau. Give you our pick right now to get out of the way for those who have to move forward or have to move on in a rush, I get it. We like kulabal by decision, that's our prediction. kulabal's currently line at minus 115 with Melsic's at minus 105, so we have the proverbial Pick'em price tag. Again, 145 pounders. Their basic information, Kulabow's 10-1-1 overall. He's 3-1-1 in his last five fights from Sydney, Australia. 28 years young. 5'10 in height with a 73-inch reach. And he's out of Igor MMA Academy. Excuse me. (sighs) My allergies continue. Mr. Melsik Bogdazanian goes by the gun. 7-1 7-1 overall. 5-0 in his last five fights. Now based out of Glendale, California, though he's from Armenia. He's 31, almost the same age range there as Joshua. Five foot nine in height, so only one inch shorter, with a 70-inch reach. A3-inch reach advantage there for Joshua Kulibau. And for Melzik Bakhtazarin, he trains out of Muay Thai America Gym. As for topology, it looks like Bakhtazarin is the favorite, getting 61% of the votes over 39% for Koolabau. A little surprising, you know Koolabau is the hometown fighter. We probably harp on that too much, but there is historical evidence that being the hometown fighter can make a difference. You know, so from that standpoint, we feel like we would be uh, remiss to not talk about it. As for Koolabau, he's a right-handed fighter, 15 total fights. He's a striker. By 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 his you know by his nature, right? Not a grappler, not a wrestler, a striker. Average fight time for him, 13 minutes, 15 seconds. So well into round number three. Lands 3.06 strikes per minute, absorbs 3.06. You don't see that very often. Actual even striking ratio. It's not a good thing. <laughs> so you don't want to be landing just as much as you're you know absorbing. So for Joshua Coolabau needs to improve the stand-up defense and be more efficient about his striking, right? He has 82% takedown defense with zero takedowns thus far in the UFC. What's to like about Joshua? He's gonna have a reach advantage here, hometown fans. He tends to win close fights. He's been to a handful of split decisions, three in total. He won two of them. The other one went to a draw, go figure. A split that also goes to a draw. (laughs) He also won like a majority decision at some point. So he tends to go to close fights and he tends to fall the right side of those close fights. Our concerns for him, same thing, split decisions. Going to these close calls, it could also go against him. His even striking ratio, not great. Lack of activity, he fought only one time last year. Intends to keep his hands pretty low. As for Melsic, he's a southpaw, kickboxer, fighting style. Average fight time, 12 minutes, 17 seconds, 13 total bouts, lands six strikes per minute, absorbs 3.48 and averages zero takedowns per fight with 76 seventy six excuse me takedown percent takedown defense. So neither guy is much of a grappler, and both have pretty good takedown defense, so the fight should play out mostly on the feet. For Melsic, we like his finishing ability, a variety of kicks to the body, head, lower leg, has hurt some opponents with lower leg kicks, has a very powerful left hand. His left hand is more than likely his most powerful weapon, his most lethal weapon when it comes to striking his left hand. Our concerns for him, a lack of activity, he did not fight last year. Finishing ability, has one finish since 2019, so that's like a four-year window with only one finish. Gets too much into spinning stuff sometimes. (laughs) Like, he'll start spinning kicks and another one and another one. Just, you know, every now and then, okay, but sometimes gets into this thing of trying too much spinning shit. And then... I picked up on it later on. I was watching film on him. I just didn't pick up on it at first, but tends to duck his head, and it could be in a variety of ways. Like, if someone's coming after him and he wants to just, like, sort of push them and shove them, he'll duck his head. He looks straight down, and it creates a blind spot for him. He's, in essence, looking at the ground. He does it sometimes when he's throwing big overhand punches, too, so I, I don't like that. It leaves him open for counters and, you know, all kind of damaging stuff, so needs to be careful of ducking his head and just not seeing the actual action of what's going on. So we like Kulabu, Kulabu, right? Joshua, to win by decision. For Kulabu, he prefers to operate on the feet. He does his best work at range. He's going to have the distance or reach advantage, excuse me, and has a nice jab. He's got a solid take that defense, 82%. And though in his last fight, Shalin took him down, Shailen Nurnebekov, right? Nurnebeke, <laughs> tough name to say. But Shalin took him down early in the round one, but Joshua got back up. He showed the ability to get back to his feet, and from there, actually had good take on defense for the rest of the fight. Without question, Kulabala does his best work on the feet, though. His striking is fluid. It looks natural. He looks like he's actually has a boxing background. He needs to be mindful, though, of standing too tall, giving up his legs, getting kicked in the legs, or just getting taken down. For Melsic, he has some grappling skills, but... He hasn't registered a single takedown in his last three fights. So it's not as if he's a big time grappler, right? Again, at the fight, should play on the feet. For Melsic, much like Kulabao, Melsic does his best work on the feet. He likes to stalk his prey with high volume at distance, press the pace, forced in the up. has a very effective lower leg kick. We've seen him hurt some people with lower leg kicks. Part of his fighting stance involves holding his hands very low and just being loose, kind of like this, you know, Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather. He's not that kind of a striker, not that good. You get the point, though. Hands are low, Roy Jones, that kind of style. It allows him to be loose and ready to counter and and to make fluid movements. Unfortunately, it just leaves him also wide open for just straight shots and jabs. Um, So it's, you know, a double-edged sword. It's like splitting hairs with this fight. You can make a really good argument for both fighters. The main line is perfect here. It's perfectly a pick-em at minus 115, minus 105. I think cool about fighting at home? It is a factor. It's bigger than people might realize. It's going to obviously, you know, stroke his emotions, the crowd, the whole nine. This fight's not in the main card, but it's late in the undercard. So, you know, the, the crowd, the arena is starting to fill up more, right? So, it wouldn't surprise us at all if Melsing pulls out the win. By no surprise, we'd be surprised. Both fighters have realistic paths to victory. We're going to just edge Joshua Koulibal because he's the hometown fighter, and we'll have that little bit of an edge. And if it goes to the scorecards, we'll get that little bump we feel like. The bets we like for this fight are the fight going the distance at minus 145, the fight going over two and a half rounds at minus 170, and Kulabao by decision at plus 210. So again, we like those three betting spots of the fight with the distance at minus 145, the over two and a half rounds at minus 170, and Kulabau by decision at plus 210. And that's your breakdown for Joshua Kulabau versus Melsic Bogdazarian. Good luck with this fight, guys. Let's move on. Moving up the card, next fight's going to be a light heavyweight battle, 205 pounds between Modestus Bucalcus goes by the Baltic Gladiator versus Tyson Pedro. Now for bucalcus this will be his first fight back with the UFC, so let go in 2021 after a knee injury, we'll talk about that in a second. Let me get the pick out the way for those who have to move forward in this video, maybe they're in a rush on the way to work or something. We like Modestus Bucalcus to win the fight inside the distance. He's a dog currently at plus 200, probably will close as a dog in that range. We get the hype for Tyson Pedro. We'll talk about that hype and some of it's warranted, but this is a good fight for Modestus. It's a good matchup for him. He should be pretty thirsty to, you know, get a win here. First fight back with the UFC and we like him to win the fight by decision. Before we get into the breakdown, let's go over the particulars in these two guys. Mr. Pedro, nine and three overall, three and two in his last five fights. From Australia, 31 years old, 6'3 in height with a 79 inch reach. He trains out of Lions High Performance Center. As for the Lithuanian fighter, Modestus, 13 and 5 overall, 2 and 3 in his last five fights. A dog here before, as we mentioned, around plus 200. He's now based out of England, 29 years old. So guys are in the same age bracket, 29, 31, both six foot three in height, 78 inch reach for Modestus, about one inch shorter than Pedro. And for the gym of training for Modestus, we have two listed here, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and Gintus Combat. All right, some more numbers in the fighters. When we go through the breakdown, we'll give you some more stuff like, you know, striking numbers and takedown stuff, things of that nature. Uh, for Pedro first, looking at his numbers here, average fight time about 5 minutes and 51 seconds. So doesn't really get much past the first round. We'll talk about that. Lands about three strikes per minute, absorbs 2.35 Averages about a half a takedown per fight, so not much of a wrestler with 52% takedown defense. He's a right-handed fighter. He's a boxer. That's sort of the fighting style of Tyson Pedro. And again, he's 31 years old. As for Modestus from Lithuania, also a right-handed fighter, also a striker, has zero takedowns in all of his UFC fights. 100% takedown defense, though. Very good. Absorbs 4.54 strikes per minute. That's a negative striking ratio because the only output is, his output for him is 3.59. So a negative striking ratio, that's never a good thing, right? Average fight time for Modestus, 7 minutes, 23 seconds. And again, he's 28 years old. Okay, I'm going to try to look through my write-up here. You know what I'm terrible at? I'm terrible trying to read like paragraph form. I could do bullet points when it comes to reading, trying to read it smoothly. I never could have been a broadcaster. I never would have been (laughs) my thing. Now, podcast scenario like this, I could talk. I could fill up the time a little bit, a little bit different. So, we like Modestus to win by a TKO or submission in round three. I'm going to talk you through it and why. Regardless of what happens with this fight, I think we're going to see a good fight. I think we'll see a finish, and it's a good test for both fighters. Both guys are coming in off of not recent, but somewhat like, let's say, three, four years recent knee injuries, and they were substantial knee injuries, as we'll talk about. For Bukakis, Modestus, this will be his first fight back with the UFC. He had a two-fight break, fought both fights in cage warriors, did a good job after being let go by the UFC 2021. Now, as for Pedro, let's talk about him first. When Pedro looks his best, the dude looks legit title contender. No question about it. He has the pedigree of a champion. His father is known as being the person who brought mixed martial arts to Australia. His dad has a whole history and a background. and I'm not sure if his father was the owner, operator, manager, maybe all three, kind of like the Al Davis of mixed martial arts there because he had a promotion and, you know, getting sort of brought the sport to Australia. So he grew up with that person as his father. Teenage years, got into mixed martial arts, specifically Japanese jiu-jitsu, then the boxing, so on and so on. Tai Avasa is his brother in law. So, you know, you can see the picture I'm molding for you. Combat sports is a big part of his life. Now his pro experience hasn't been nearly as smooth of a ride. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. So he lost to Rua, right? The legendary Rua. Like 2017. Okay, whatever, lost a fight. But it was how he lost. He was a minus five sixty five favorite. It went into round three he basically melted gassed out and it was one of the last wins for Marcin Rua that fight that memory might very well be burned in a lot of people's heads and so when you see him favored here like minus 240 minus 250 he's not minus 565 like he was that night against Rua it just brings back the memories of like hey we've seen him you know be favored before so he had a knee injury he was out two years and it wasn't the initial knee injury that was all the problem. I guess after the first surgery, there was some additional issues, some re injuring of the knee. And it happens, part of the process, part of being an athlete. But, you know, a seven to eight month to nine month layoff turned into like 48 months. You know what I mean? No, that makes no sense. That would be four years, <laughs> 12 months in a year, about 24 months. You know, so it was a, a lingering injury, kept him out. My questions are, you know, is that knee fully healed? What if he faces a, a fighter that wants to attack that leg or either leg? You know, could that be a problem? Now, in his return fight, the last two fights, he looked great. Biddle had first-round finishes. Tyson Biddle, that is. Uh, he looked good. The only question is he fought Harry Huntsucker and Ike Villanueva. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? The biggest win of his career so far for Tyson Pedro was a first-round knockout over Paul Craig 2017. Not going to say anything bad about Paul Craig because we like him. Exciting fighter, always brings a bit of extra, you know, but has been chinny at times. And so Pedro knocking him out, it's like, okay. Makes sense. Should be expected. Tyson has a 100% finish rate. That's four KOs and five submissions, all nine of his career wins. And by the way, the name Tyson... His first name, Tyson, it, it was given to him by uh, his uh, his parents because of Mike Tyson, like in the idea of it. So remember, this guy's all the the family stuff, the father, combat sports, he's got the pedigree of a champion, right? Even named after a former heavyweight boxing champion. Now, the thing about being injured in your knee, I wanted to mention this before I get to this entire breakdown, because it, it goes for both fighters. If you sustain an ankle or knee injury, that's so bad that it lingers substantially, like substantially lingering, like, you know, two, three years later, you're, you're icing it after practices, you're,